Hey, man, how are you? Doing good, Don. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad this worked out. It's a happy Monday here in Valley. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. And where are you from again? Where are you? Where, where are you situated? Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful yeah, was, area. Yeah, I love it here. I was raised in the mountains, but ended up after I got out of the service, settling here in Raleigh, and okay. never left. And uh, you're in Texas. I'm in Dallas. Yeah, I've been in Dallas since uh, finished law school at, in Pittsburgh. So since 1986. Oh. But it's funny. I I, I just did a uh, I just did a book interview for the Ambulance Chaser, and uh, one of the questions was, "Is why is it set in Pittsburgh?" and and uh, I, I answered that there was never any doubt where it would be set because although I've lived in Dallas 30 years, my family's here and Dallas is, is my home, but Pittsburgh is home, right? Great. It's where I grew up and, uh, and it's where my heart is. So uh, it will always be. I, I, feel, I feel the same way about Central North Carolina. I'm, I've been here with my beloved wife for nearly 30 years, but uh, yeah. Asheville is always going to be home. Yeah, and so you never lose that, right? When I when I dream, I dream Pittsburgh, not Dallas. <laughs> I do. Every dream I have, literally, there are a couple that are thrown in now and then, but uh, you know, we're with uh, family here. But uh, ninety percent of my dreams, and I dream a lot. I'm a very vivid dreamer, and mm -hmm. I remember my dreams, and I dream every night. Yeah. Uh, they're almost always set in Pittsburgh, and always from my childhood. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what that says about your your brain, such a vivid and regular dreamer and record. Yeah, and I feel kind of blessed to uh, mm -hmm. uh, have that because it gives me ideas and mm. it, I, it causes me to think about things. And sometimes they're not good dreams. They're unsettling dreams and this mm. and that. But it was a dream. It was a recurring dream that led to my new, no led to my novel. So uh, I remember all my dreams. I do. That's and, awesome. Uh, That's awesome. Well, you know what? Let's tell everybody who you are. Who, who are you? Well, my name is Brian Cuban, and I am a person in long-term recovery. Uh, my drugs of choice, my substances of choice were cocaine and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been in long-term recovery now for rolling over into, uh, into 15 years in April. And I'm, we say one day at a time, but I'm confident I'll make it to 15 years. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I know the bad things that can happen and they're not, you know, and I know my triggers and I've lost people, so I'm confident that, yeah. that you know those things aren't an issue. They we always do say one day at a time, but I'm I am confident in more than one day at a time. Right, right. Uh, and it took a while to get there, though. It took a while to get for a long time. Mm. It was literally one day at a time, one second at a time. And so, yeah, I've been in recovery, and uh, it's been it's been an interesting journey. I mean, I've been to a psychiatric hospital twice. I've been to jail. Uh, I've had three failed marriages related to drugs and alcohol. Mm. Uh, I've lost my career as a lawyer and uh, had to re, you know, reinvented myself, obviously, in recovery, doing other things because I never really wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> but uh, and so I've, uh, you know, as I always say, the only thing I offer people really is my story. Right. right. I'm not uh, I, I tell my story a lot. Uh, so I, I like to keep it funny. I mean, I like I said, I traded. In 2006, I traded championship tickets for the Mavericks. My brother owns a team and flushed it down the toilet two nights in a row, $1,000 in cocaine, <laughs> quote unquote, insanity of addiction. And I can tell that story if you want, but uh, oh. it's uh, the only thing I'm an expert in is my story. Yeah. And I, I have nothing else. I, I'm not a counselor. Uh, I do. I did pass my recovery coach certification here in Texas. 
the state licensing, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't pass myself off as anything right. but a guy with a story. You're a guy with a story. So That's it. You're Brian. It. I, I try to be a, uh, what was it Bill White said? I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I cringe at the term uh, recovery celebrity. I try to be just a, a caretaker of my story. Oh, my story. Re recovery rock star. That's recovery what rock star. Yeah. I just try I, to be I, a caretaker of what my story can offer people. Yeah. I'm That's not it. fond of that uh, expression either. And sometimes people with, with the best of intentions say, you're such a rock star. And, and, uh, well, I try to keep it, I, 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 I try to keep it in perspective. Okay. What does that mean? Well, yes, I do get noticed because my last name, of course. And whatever that is, I mean, that was my last name, right? <laughs> my dad gave it to me and uh, I have a famous brother and I don't plan on giving it back because I give notice, get noted. Right. But, right. you know, with, with, and we're getting right into my pet peeves, you know, with, with Recovery Rockstar, and I think there, we've seen what happens, yeah. okay? Uh, like, it's, you know, people who have these relationships with treatment centers that just don't feel right uh people who are just plastering themselves hey look what i'm doing and uh and there's nothing wrong with helping people right but uh the focus seems to be them and right. the people they're helping seem to be just the background uh virtual the virtual the zoom virtual background yeah yeah and so those kind of things and we're seeing in las vegas right now uh with a very torrid uh kind of lurid kind of situation with someone there with their with that guy, I forget his name, but uh, it's a wooden, I mean, the name's changed, but uh, <laughs> right. uh, it, it's important to me personally just to be a person with a story. You are if a person helped by it, with great. A you're a person with a story. So you, you're a former attorney, you're, you identify as a person in recovery um, and you uh, are a, a writer which is really cool. We'll get into that in a little bit, but so you do identify as a person in recovery. Yes. yes. And, and we ask everyone on the show, because not all definitions are the same, nor should they be, but- I, I define, I refer, I am a person in abstinent recovery. Okay. Well, what, what is recovery to you? Uh, recovery to me is, am I today leading the best life I can lead in terms of my family, my personal growth, my relationships with my friends, uh, my, you know, is in my, uh, what are my hopes and dreams? Do I have hopes and dreams? Am I achieving? Am I working towards them? That's how I define, that's how I judge my recovery. I don't necessarily judge it in terms of have I done a line or taken a drink, which is important because mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but uh, it has really transitioned on. I don't, uh, I did, you know, you know, from the standpoint of uh, use, take, uh, snorting or whatever a lawn or doing a drink, I don't necessarily look at it anymore as, okay, I walked into the rooms of 12 step and this is how I have to define myself because I walked into the rooms of 12 step. Mm -hmm. I just, it, it can, it can transition to just a lifestyle choice, right? I just don't, I don't wake up every morning and think I'll die if I do a line. Gotcha. That very well may be true eventually, <laughs> but I, I, I don't, uh, or it may not, but I don't wake up and, and, and think that way. I wake up and think of, in terms of what kind of life am I leading today in the big mushroom of really how Morehouse Samsa defines recovery. 
Yes, this process of improved health and yeah. wellness towards autonomy just, and towards self-actualization. It's simply living why we're trying. Yeah, isn't, and, and shouldn't that be a goal with, outside or inside of recovery, right? For everyone, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I, I really, how I view my own app, uh, recovery, and I view absence the same way, right? I don't do it. But uh, how I review recovery and how I view other people's recovery has certainly evolved. Yes. Uh, and for me, I think the better for some people in the recovery field, they may say the worst. Uh, and I know people who would say that. So it just depends on what our, you know, what your personal outlook is on, on, on recovery yeah. and on, and on addiction. I'm, I'm gratified though. I'm, I mean, I'm grateful rather that, that my definition of recovery has changed and my outlook upon others recoveries has evolved and changed. And it's, it's made me a better I don't know, better human. And when I practiced uh, as a clinician, made me a better clinician. It's made me a better social worker. But you raise a really good point. Um, you said uh, that it, it was one day at a time in the beginning. Um, you also mentioned that, you know, I don't wake up every morning now. Uh, there's no craving, there's no obsession or whatever. And I think that's an important part of the story to be told. Sometimes when you get um, this recovery rock star out there, be like, every day is a challenge, man. You know, and I get up there and I fight this battle against my addiction. And, and I don't think newcomers need to hear that. I think they need to hear, no, one day you're just going to be living. I, I agree. I, I, I think that, I mean, I try to view, like you said, we meet people where they are, right? If you, if that, if you're in there and, and that's the perception you have to take uh, to get through the first three months, the first, whatever, whatever. I'm not, then, then take that, right? If that, if that's the way you have to view it. But I do think it is important for people to understand that recovery can evolve, as you said, and recovery doesn't, can, can evolve to just living, to just living your best life. And it doesn't have to be this hardcore you know just struggle every day and, and it can evolve to something else yeah and when we see these and i mean we see these recovery rock stars you know and, I, and i've seen it you've seen me go at it with people i try not to do that i try not to do that yeah but so you know you don't know only i know you so you saw me getting that uh getting that trench right you can't understand because only I'm in the trenches. I'm out there helping people. I mean, are you now? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, let's talk about ego and narcissism, right? Uh, it's uh, yeah. I don't see how that's helpful to the movement or to individuals. No. Even if you are out Absolutely. there, literally, you've helped people. I don't deny that. If you've helped people, that's great. But what is your goal, right? Is your goal to elevate yourself or elevate the person you're helping? Yeah. You know, when, when this uh, movement, recovery movement, uh, led by Faces and Voices of Recovery and encouraging us to share the power of our stories came forward, we uh, often talked about what is your motive? Why are you sharing your story? And I know that I share my story and I live out loud on social media and I know what my purpose is. My purpose is, is to lower, the, lower the, the barriers, remove the barriers for others to come get them some to instill hope and to encourage more people to tell their stories. Um, so why do you tell your story? To, uh, to encourage hope, to, 
to, to provide hope, especially I've, I've become more, and it's, and it's a specific, uh, very problematic in the legal profession mm. where, where I spend a lot of my time, right? Telling my story because we have a alcohol use disorder rate of twice the general public wow. for lawyers under 10 years of practice. It's uh, uh, one in three wow. uh, qualify for problem drinking alcohol use disorder. Wow. And we saw a recent survey where it is even higher for a woman in the legal profession. And about, I thought about 25% or even considering leaving the profession mm. because of these issues. And so in the le- and we combine that in the legal profession with this, uh, we have two levels of stigma, Don. We have the societal stigma, right? Where you have the people, it's a choice, pull it up. And we still see that, unfortunately. You know, just stop, just stop. Uh, just say no. But we also have the stigma that is specific to the legal profession piled on top of that, where we have the fear of losing your job, the fear of losing your license to practice law, the fear of not making partner, uh, the fear, you know, and the fear of allowing yourself to be vulnerable on any level, because it'll be taken advantage of. And in the legal profession, frankly, we go through law school, we're kind of educated to take advantage of vulnerability, not allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Right. So I, I feel it is especially important, and I have a special connection to telling my story in uh, within in my profession because of those issues. That's deeply meaningful work. Yeah, that's great. Uh, talk about it more. Encourage more people to seek help. Yeah. You stigmatize this issue. I go to law firms and uh, conferences and stuff, and you know, and 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 and, and law school, and I go to law schools and uh, and. You get, you know, law, law, lawyers can be set, they're kind of closed off in terms of, uh, uh, I want to say, allowing those things to come out. So you get the emails after and things like that. And, and those are very gratifying about instilling hope, right? I can't instill recovery. I can't tell you how to recover. I can't, therap- you know, I, I, I'm not a therapist, right. but I can uh, hopefully instill some hope that, uh, that will at least get you thinking about it, right? And if everyone told their story, and that doesn't mean you have to, or are not all meant to. Uh, a lot of lawyers just want to work, right? People, most people recover and they just go about their lives. So not everyone wants to be an advocate. They want to go back to being a great lawyer. Sure. But the more people we have telling our stories, the more permission we give people to tell their stories and so on and so on. And we keep you know, paying the hope forward. And that is how things move outward, right? The mushroom expands outward. Yes. That's a wonderful way to put it. You know, another thing we talk about on, on this show is um, I, I only have guests on who I have a relationship with, you know, and we talk about how we met and we show pictures when we've been together. And this is kind of a unique relationship. I have a purely digital relationship yeah. with, with you. We've never met in person, but um I think because of your uh, storytelling, your um, recovery visibility, I felt comfortable reaching out to you on a number of I'm things. I'm glad you did, because I mean, as much as I can consider someone else, someone a friend virtually, right? But uh, let's, I mean, COVID's had a lot to do with a lot of this. And uh, hopefully we're going to come out of this where we can all really get together <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and share our, uh, and share our viewpoints and, uh, and talk recovery and uh, and argue recovery, right? And debate yeah. recovery because we have, you know, even on the things we agree on, many of us have very different viewpoints, but most of us want the same thing. Even if we have view, 
view what, uh, you know, what it means to get there or what abstinence means or what harm reduction means, even though we have kind of clinical definitions, but uh, people have very different views uh, on those things. And what I'm not sure has changed because the, the paradigm has changed because of uh, COVID, but at least before COVID, I've seen us as such a divisive bunch yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, fundraising and uh, trying to, you know, messaging, uh, especially especially when you have the, uh, what recovery should go to, right? What is the end result of recovery versus, you know, you have that where the end result should always be abstinence versus the end result should be where you are, whatever you want it to be and how you want it to get there. Huge divide between those two. Yeah, huge divide, you know, and I, I, I like to promote recovery. Um, but I definitely very much work in a public health setting where we are responding to uh, the overdose crisis, where over 100,000 folks have already uh, lost their lives to drug overdose. So my, my goals have shifted significantly since I entered the field 12 years ago from promoting recovery to um, uh, preserving life, promoting health, wellness, understanding the roles that access and inequity play and all these things. So it's just so much more complex, but. I mean, and, and it is, and there are very hot button issues. I mean, uh, you know, uh, prosecuting people who, you know, who provide drugs. I mean, that's not, I mean, and uh, in, in these other war on drugs things that we had a hundred thousand overdoses, it's not working, right? Not Seize working. all the fentanyl off the border you want. That isn't curbing the, uh, great, do it, that's fine but that's not stopping overdoses, fatal it's, overdoses. It's not working. I just, I love it. Every one of these interviews, I try to look for a little, a little statement within there for the title of the episode. And uh, that really hit me. It's not working. It's not. I mean, the, the numbers say that it's not working. It's not, no. That addiction, it's called addiction for a reason. Obsessive compulsive drug seeking behavior in the face of known and probable consequences. Right. Well, you, you, if when, when you're dependent and addicted, as we know, two different things, you're going to find it. Yeah, you're going to find it. So how can we keep that person alive to experience how it, whatever recovery looks like to her, she, uh, him, her or they. Right. Right. Yeah. We uh, you've defined substance use disorder, the compulsive seeking or using of substances despite consequences. And we have a very much consequences driven solution and we wonder why it's not working yeah i mean don i was doing cocaine in the federal courthouse the state courthouse i was i i was suffering from substance use disorder i wasn't suffering from stupid okay <laughs> i knew it was illegal yeah. i knew i could go to prison that uh that wasn't the issue definitely not well, you know, along with talking about, you know, recovery and what we're passionate about, we talk about having fun because I know we like to have fun. So what do you, what do you do for fun, Brian? Uh, well, I mean, I, I go to Mavs games, obviously, because Dallas Mavericks games, but I've only been a one this year. Uh, I, uh, I love to write. I, I run as much as I can with a, with a hip replacement. My wife and I uh, love to travel, which we haven't been able to do unfortunately, but uh, we're very low-key people, Don. We, uh, we have our routine, and this is kind of a byproduct of recovery, right? Mm -hmm. You go from chaos, where every, all these things, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, to this, right? <laughs> where you really 
And you either become comfortable in that life and enjoy that life and learn how to enjoy that life, or you can expand it. But you, you know, you try not to go back to those things that can trigger, you know, this, this, all the chaos again. But we, we, we go out to dinner and we go to Mavs games. We travel mm -hmm. every now and then, you know, we go see a show if we can. Uh, so very, uh, very simple, very, uh, now I admit there's obviously, I, there's privilege, right? Skin color and many other levels of privilege mm -hmm. that people struggling don't, and many, the vast majority don't enjoy. But uh, within our life, those are, we, we, we live a very quiet lifestyle. Yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm a family man as well. And uh, I we have, have two cats. I mean, we have chilling. two cats. We don't have any kids, but we have two cats. And uh, this is probably substantially the same life I lived uh, starting with about a year in recovery, right? Uh, not as many 12-step meetings. Uh, I do mo I'm all of them now virtually. Right. Uh, I do a lot of speaker meetings and I, I love those are fun to tell my story of speaker meetings. But, uh, you know, and, but uh, yeah, it, it's substantially the same life. Yeah. Well, I, I, I dig, uh, I'm inspired by your pursuing writing. I'm inspired by your fitness as well. I think it's wonderful that you're putting that out there. Um, well, have, writing. Oh, go ahead. I would say, I mean, uh, it's become more of a challenge as I've gotten older. I've run eight marathons, but those were in my 20s and early 30s. Um, six, I'm turning 61 in January. Wow. And uh, I have a hip replacement and this and that. So you have to adjust, but I always find a way because exercise is a part of my mental health routine. Excellent. So writing, uh, you, you have been known to write autobiographical and, and, and stories uh, pertaining to substance use disorder. Um, but uh, this episode is going to be coming out a day after uh, the launch of an amazing uh, work of fiction that, uh, well, I assume it's amazing. I can't wait to read it. So. I hope you'll think so. <laughs> My biggest fear now, right? I, people have read it, and uh, but you, ha you have the, the people have read it who are going to, you know, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And uh, it has to get out into the realm of people who don't know you from Adam. Right. <laughs> right. So the ambulance chaser ambulance is, is coming out uh, Monday. December 7th. Here you go. December 7th. There it is. My author's coffee. Hot dog. So, you know, when this episode comes out and as we lead up to this episode, we'll, we'll promote the book. And I just hope folks will run out and get them one and, and maybe grab yeah. a copy of the, of the Addicted Lawyer as well. Yeah. The Addicted Lawyer is my memoir. Yeah. Uh, about my war. You can read about trading the Dallas Mavericks championship tickets and all that stuff. A lot of, a lot of stories and a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call them salacious. <laughs> but a lot of stories, because uh, a lot of stories that you'll be like, wow, okay. You know, it's uh, just goofy. It's goofy stories, but they all have a message. They yeah. all have a message. That was one of the things with writing The Addicted Lawyer. I had all these stories, right? Yeah. But uh, which of them are salacious just for the sake of being salacious, which I didn't want to do. Right. And which of them have actual messages to them? And can you create a message that isn't just a total downer from the story, right? And because uh, I didn't want people to come out of reading The Addicted Lawyer like they had just given birth. And so, but The Ambulance Chaser is a novel, it's fiction. And so The Ambulance Chaser is about a Pittsburgh lawyer, as you might guess, uh, named Jason, who finds himself accused of the murder of a high school classmate 30 years prior after her remains are discovered in a vacant lot. He is arrested, charged with her murder, and flees, becomes a fugitive of justice from justice to find the one person who can prove his innocence and save the life of his abducted son. 
That sounds awesome. Well, where can folks come get them a, a copy when uh, they do this uh, Tuesday the 8th? The 8th, you're at your local bookstore. If it's not at your Barnes & Noble, go and ask for it. It's obviously available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. Uh, if you go and ask your indie bookstore, if you're just uh, Amazon adverse, as some people are, uh, you don't want to give Jeff Bezos the dollar. I get that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it'll be uh, right now. It'll be available pretty much everywhere. I've taken, I've done uh, several book clubs, um, Carl Hart books and Maya Salavitz books. And um, uh, I've told folks to go to, to I think, bookshop.org, which. Yeah, bookshop. It's available on bookshop.org. It likes, yeah. they, they try to get money to local, local bookstores and stuff. Yeah. I've read Dr. Hart's universe. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, all right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here. We um, always end up putting folks on the spot, though. Um, do you have, for our millions of listeners, do you have a message that you want to put out there? Yes. Whatever your recovery or uh, looks like today may not be, it doesn't mean that's what it has to look like six months from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. Allow it to evolve. Allow it to evolve for the better. Don't feel you have to be stuck in a narrative because that's what everyone else tells you the narrative should be. Mm. Allow your recovery to evolve. Don't get stuck in the narrative imposed by others. That's right. That's great. That's good stuff. Well, we Brock, all evolve as people, right? Recovery should, recovery should be no different. Recovery should be no different. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that you showed up and thanks for sharing everything with us. And uh, I'm going to let you get back to your day. Thank you, Don. It was such a pleasure. And I hope to see you in person very soon. We're going to make that happen. Let's do right. that. You take care, my friend.